This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Just in the month of September, two really big insights came out of the Department of Homeland Security uh, by way of immigration challenges facing the country. One, we found out that um, of families separated at the border, around 12,000 or so, a number that has ballooned since recent reports, um, remain in detention facilities or were brought into detention facilities. And then completely separate from that this weekend, uh, the Department of Homeland Security announced that those that um, engage in what they call quote-unquote public charges um, or seek public assistance, everything from SNAP benefits to um, income subsidies and housing help, would have that count against them when it comes to determinations around their immigration status. And I mentioned these two data points because they kind of come on the backs of an incredible two years of federal immigration policy that has really not just stunned uh, families across the country, um, but frankly the rest of the world too, of how quickly America has pivoted away from its, its sort of traditionally more open stance and welcoming stance around immigrants of all stripes. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. But aside from what's happening federally, a lot is happening at the state and local level. Well, Dr. Linda Lopez, Chief of Immigration Affairs for the City of Los Angeles, as you run the Immigrant Affairs Office for the City of Los Angeles, one of not only America's largest cities and more econ- most economically booming cities, but also home to uh, some of the highest immigration pop- immigrant populations uh, around the world. In fact, I, I just found out that in, uh, in pockets of Southern California and L.A., there are more Armenian immigrants, for example, than there are even Armenians in Armenia. And And so I guess I'm curious, when you hear these new reports, when you see these overtures from the federal government play out, what do you feel is the role and responsibility of someone who can steer policy from the perch of a city? Yeah, uh, I think that a place like L.A. has always been a welcoming place. It's a place where a lot of immigrants came and founded our city in 1789. So I think that there's a lot to have to do with our office because our office is primarily responsible for delivering city services and advocating for immigrant inclusive policies and additionally to create initiatives and programs that will help immigrants integrate into the social economic fabric of the city. And so when we hear about public charge, when we hear about increased enforcement, it's happening at the local level and municipalities like LA under Mayor Garcetti's leadership have been able to create local policies to address um, some of these issues that immigrants are facing, whether it be, you know, feelings of anxiety, feelings of, you know, not trusting our local law enforcement. Um, So one of the things that we developed recently is uh, revision to our Special Order 40, which is a policy that was created in 1979 under the... um, uh, chief, uh, uh, this chief of uh, uh, police, where um, basically local law enforcement um, is not allowed to ask people about their immigration status. And I think that it's one example of how we are reassuring our communities that 
uh, our local law enforcement will not act as federal immigration agents. And and I'm curious when you, there must be a, a bevy of opportunities and programs that you can um, kind of build out for Angelinos, for the city of LA, that maybe quote unquote run counter to what might be happening nationally. Um, but there's also a ton of core services that you provide for immigrants that mm-hmm. sort of extend beyond just political infighting um, that we see played on the headlines. I know, for example, you've started service programs that have to deal with access to care. Um, I'm, I'm sure a multitude of other programs that help with like education or uh, economic opportunities. Can you just sort of walk us through your office day-to-day steering immigration policy? How do you sort of disti- distinguish between those kind of core things that can just make one's life easier versus is sort of the political morass that plays out day to day. Yeah, in the area of health, uh, we initiated a program called Health for Ac- Health Access for All, which is a program that focuses on undocumented youth ages zero to nineteen. As the state legislature had passed a law that essentially allows for undocumented youth to access our healthcare system. And our office is instrumental in enrolling a lot of individuals in that program so that they can have access to healthcare, which is critical um, for a lot of our immigrant populations. Um, The other area that we are uh, really focused on has to do with citizenship and how we engage people who are lawful permanent residents to become citizens in the city and in our country. And so what we've created is an innovation that our local libraries, 73 local libraries, now have the ability to um, essentially walk people through the process of naturalization, which, as you know, can be very complex, can be overwhelming, you know, especially if you don't know the language. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people fear, fear, you know, the language tests and all of the requirements that go into becoming a citizen. And so what we did is we essentially initiated that through all our local libraries. They have trained librarians that that will be able to uh, walk people through different questions. We have nonprofits that also uh, provide workshops uh, for people who are interested in navigating the process. And we also have English as a second language within our libraries and classes to help people uh, learn English. Uh, So we, we see that as our are a true example of how cities can be responsive to this need uh, and to provide really a one-stop shop for citizen engagement and for people to truly understand that libraries are safe spaces, but also that they can be very educational and that they can help them also navigate the citizenship process. That's an interesting um, turn of phrase, though, that they that, that libraries... Um various kind of convening uh, spaces can be safe. And uh, you mentioned this earlier, but uh, some of the broader concern that we continue to have about kind of the national climate around immigration is this lack of uncertainty for any family, Um, not knowing whether or not uh, they might be a degree or two of separation away from an ICE raid, not knowing whether or not um, they may be asked for their papers uh, when they're going through an airport. How do you, as someone who owns that immigration policy, that must be a really tall order to kind of have to, on your shoulders, have this sense of creating comfort, creating safe spaces, creating security. What does that feel like, just being an American yourself, having to do that on behalf of so many that just want the chance to be American? Yeah, you know, I look back at my own 
family history. Um, I'm the child of immigrants uh, to the United States, to Los Angeles, and I feel where, where are your like parents from? they're from Ecuador. Ecuador. Yeah. Okay. So my parents settled in LA in the 1960s. Um, my mom became a citizen. My dad didn't become a citizen, and so for me, I, I take that to heart that because of that lived experience. I can see why, for example, someone may not want to become a citizen, you know, whether it's, you know, too complex or whether it's, you know, I, I'm already a lawful permanent resident, I don't really need to go the next step. So I understand the immigrant experience because of my own immigrant experience. And I think that approach and that vision to create these programs is embedded based on my own history as a child of immigrants. So I I use that as my prism to find ways that I can create innovative programs to help support the integration of immigrants. And I think the Health for Access program, um, I think that citizenship access, um, we've also, you know, looked at how we can build greater trust between our local law enforcement and our and our local communities, particularly immigrant communities. And I have to say that under Chief Beck and now uh, Chief Moore, I think that there's a real sense in our LAPD that they've created these trust relationships for a long period of time. That's fantastic. And working collaboratively also with local nonprofits, immigrant rights groups or legal organizations that helps support immigrants and defend their rights. I think we've created a mechanism and processes within our local jurisdiction, within our city, where immigrants do feel safe because they they know that from the top down that there is leadership where uh, our leaders, our chiefs of police are saying, you know, our local law enforcement will not act as federal immigration agents. And I think that you know, we've had several community building uh, workshops to share the information to the local community that may feel anxious or may feel, you know, what happens if there's an ICE raid. We've uh, created um, Know Your Rights workshops, about 40 plus workshops throughout the city to engage local law enforcement, but also our faith communities and other uh, stakeholders so that they can also share the information to the local community. And so the idea is really how do we create uh, not only opportunity, but how do we create an education mechanism that's embedded in community? And I think that it's a good example of um, having local law enforcement engage with our community and continually building those trusts, the trust that is needed and required for people to feel safe, to, to be able to you know, drive their car to work or take their kids to school or uh, access even a driver's license because now in the state of California, as you know, undocumented individuals can access a driver's license. So there's a lot of ways that I think we as a local mayor's office... Which is an incredible stride, by the way. Absolutely. And other, you know, states have followed, I think, as a consequence because California has been a true leader when it comes to creating immigrant-inclusive policies that that also get devolved to the local level, to cities. So I think uh, that we have a lot to continue to do, obviously, but we've also accomplished some great milestones and some great things for people that are immigrant populations and and how we can serve them and meet them where they are and 
really d using a bottom-up approach and not so much a hierarchical approach. I think that really works for us. The, uh, yeah. the fact that you are working so closely with law enforcement, for example, mm -hmm. um, puts you at a very unique perch compared to much of the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, law enforcement, particularly in recent uh, years, uh, with a, a rising sort of media attention on, you know, the tragic, um, unfortunate circumstances of several, you know, young men of color over the past couple of years um, across communities across the country have really put this notion of the responsibility of law enforcement. And unfortunately, it's painted this sort of us versus them mentality that um, there is a community member who gets in the crosshairs of a uh, law enforcement official. And while you know the public square will have the discussions about what happened or not, what often happens is that people make assumptions about what the law enforcement official should have done or could have done, or conversely, what the uh, individual um, you know, in question who may have you know, ultimately been hurt by the circumstance, whether he or she was in the right place at the right time or if they were up to no good. That has really cast this sour uh, mood around you know, who stands up for our, you know, our proverbial boys in blue or who doesn't. And what you are doing is actively working to make sure that community members stitch together a tighter relationship with law enforcement. Um, kind of zooming out of just the immigration lens for a moment, what have you learned in terms of that importance of working with local police departments to, to really push through not only immigration goals of your office and the Garcetti administration, but also to just know that you can trust in institutions that happen to be in your backyard day to day? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, because we're seeing increased enforcement at the federal level, my work has taken me to work more closely with you know, law enforcement or local police commission, for example, on the revisions of Special Order 40, as an example. Uh, but I also feel like, in the end, it's really about the community writ large, because everyone needs to feel safe and protected. Uh, and I think that the lens that we use through the immigrant uh, experience is only one avenue, of course, but it also impacts communities all, all over in terms of our city because as it stands now, our city has neighborhoods that are comprised of you know, immigrants or you know, people of different backgrounds, whether it's faith backgrounds or racial backgrounds. So it's a very diverse place and it's a, a really a laboratory. I see LA as a laboratory also to learn about you know, the diaspora that you were just talking about where you know, we have more Salvadorians outside of El Salvador, for example, or other kinds of you know, ethnic groups that live in our city and are contributing to our city. So I think it makes it for um, a great way to not only learn from these different experiences um, that people have when they're interfacing with law enforcement, uh, but it also gives us some good lessons to learn from. So I think having a, one of the great things I think about LA is that we established a um, civilian police commission in the aftermath of um, the uprising. Yeah, we have a, a police commission that obviously is appointed by the mayor, but nonetheless are residents of LA oh, who serve on our police commission. And so I think that that allows for greater transparency, but also greater dialogue and conversation about 
you know, issues that impact uh, particularly communities of color, um, not just immigrant communities, but, but communities that potentially may be impacted by local law enforcement. And, you know, an extension of that debate is that in recent months, because of some of the policies of our current presidential administration, um, there has been a movement in which, you know, from T-shirts to hashtags, people call for the abolishment of ICE. Mm. Um, they are, in effect, law enforcement officials carrying out a, a play that, you know, a boss above them is, is making. Um, do you think that, based off of how you've seen the kind of the, the community aspect of law enforcement with local LAPD, and then you see sort of the national backlash against a different, more federal law enforcement outfit like ICE, are there lessons to be learned about engagement with uh, certain officials that can help smooth the tensions or create a betterment of understanding? Mm-hmm. Or is where what ICE's charter or mandate is of, of knocking on doors of households and essentially taking people out of the country, is that just a completely different policy dialogue that is not uh, analogous to what we're talking about with engaging LAPD? Yeah, I think it's different. Um, I, I see it from the perspective of you know, local LAPD law enforcement. I think that, um, you know, we have a lot of um, things that we can learn from this conversation. Uh, but I think they're very distinct because in LA, what, what we're really about is inclusivity, being a welcoming city. How do we build trust um, with our local law enforcement? How do we create a policy that limits the ability of uh, for example, ICE, as, as you pointed out, um, is you know entangled in some way um, with our local law enforcement. So, I think that um, through policy, we can create more localized ways to address some of those potential concerns. Um, yeah, and the. The, the way that you all have addressed concerns of the, uh, as, as a city um, is this sort of subnational approach in which we can build policy experiments, we can build safe spaces, we can build uh, programs for our community in spite of or perhaps even in the face of uh, what the you know, broader administration may be trying to do. Undoubtedly, you serve on behalf of, you know, Mayor of L.A., Eric Garcetti, and you are also, um, you know, charged with running an office focused on the community at hand. At what moment do you feel like it is your duty or would the administration feel like it's their duty to take a stand against a federal program like, you know, the curbing of refugee resettlement numbers or the travel ban or even child separation of the border. How much do you feel it is your responsibility representing Angelinos to stand up when you see something wrong going on at the federal level versus the day-to-day hard work of engaging the community and, and building all the services that you just listed? I think that there's an increasing role for cities, particularly cities like LA, which are large urban cities, to advocate on behalf of their residents as residents, maybe not just as the traditional way goes, as citizens, because they are part of our fabric. And I think that when you think about like a a place like LA, the child, uh, for example, the child separation issue, Mayor Garcetti uh, was very active, uh, took leadership to 
you know, come with other mayors to El Paso to the to the detention center near uh, actually Tornillo Detention Center, and I think it was a good example of how mayors can be mobilized around an issue that obviously is going to impact their local community, their city, um, because of the fact that many of the people that are seeking refuge from the Northern Triangle countries live in L.A. or their relatives live in L.A. So the idea really is that we do expect some of those families and some of those children to come to our city. And I think that it's it's no... Um, there's no reason why we as a city shouldn't welcome them into our fabric. And one good example of that is our local uh, reunification efforts. Right now we've been assisting um, through city services and county services. We've partnered to uh, provide you know, mental health services, legal services through our LA Justice Fund for the children and the parents that have been separated and then reunified in our city. So it's a good example of uh, how local governments come together around a particular issue that obviously is going to impact our, our local city. And I think mayors, mayors in particular and have that ability to stand on these issues and take leadership. And I, I think this is one example of that where mayors from across the country are really rallying yeah. uh, to advocate for... Um, for these children and for these parents, uh, because at, at the end of the day, they are children, and uh, you know they they are people and and they're families and yeah. vulnerable. And I think cities really have a responsibility to be able to find ways, innovative ways, to integrate them into our local fabric. And I'm curious, either from the perspective of Linda Lopez, daughter of immigrants or, um, you know, wearing your hat, uh, tasked with the responsibility of looking out for the immigrant community of L.A., when you take a look at those that might be nervous or might be uncertain or maybe a little angry when they see uh, folks being pulled away from their families or people being told that they don't look like they should be from this country or they don't speak this right language to be from this country, that America is about an a version of the past and not necessarily what this modern kind of tapestry of colors and, and perspectives looks like. When all of that is coming at the face of someone who is just a mouth agaped wondering how they fit in this country, how they fit in this city, what would your message be for them? I think the message is that we will continue to be a place that people feel like a sense of belonging, a place that we welcome you no matter, as, as the mayor likes to say, no matter who you love, what faith you have, or what you look like. Because at the end of the day, we're all immigrants. We all come from another place to the United States. And that's really what is emblematic, I think, of our value system is whether it, it be refugees or immigrants who come here for different reasons, fleeing violence or war or uh, persecution, that cities can, will continue to 
be those places and spaces that are welcoming and that represent those core American values of opportunity. Well, Dr. Linda Lopez, Chief of Immigration Affairs for the City of Los Angeles, the world is better off knowing that for a city, you're still building a lot of these programs to make sure that the world knows that we still stand with open arms. So thank you for your leadership. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.